O Lord, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle, or who shall rest upon thy holy hill? So starts our psalm for today. Turn with me to Psalm 15, please. It is found on page 372 of the Pew Bibles, or page 357 of the Book of Common Prayer. Page 357 in the prayer book, or 372 of the Pew Bibles. This question, who shall dwell in thy tabernacle, who shall rest upon thy holy hill, is of the utmost import import to us humans, isn't it? Who, O Lord, will be with you? The question has immediate implications and eternal implications. Can I be at rest with God now, at peace with my Creator? Will I spend eternity with God on his holy hill, or will I be somewhere else? We find the same question all over the Holy Scriptures. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Asked the psalmist in Psalm 24. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Asks the rich young ruler in chapter 18 of St. Luke's Gospel. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Say the man to Peter and the apostles on Pentecost at the birthing of the church. And there are many more such questions that are really asking the same basic idea. The human condition is one that continues to have an abiding sense of that the current condition is not the right one. We've got some problems, in other words. And all of history, even archaeological stuff prior to history, meaning the written record, all of the arts and all of literature tells us that man gets that there's a problem. The current condition of the world and humans in it is not the right condition. That to live rightly is to go against the grain of our fallen passions. The Greeks knew it. Look at uh, uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They get it pretty clearly. There's there's, um, four cardinal virtues, they say. And you live by these virtues and human, humanity will flourish. Well, gee, didn't really work, did it? It's a little bit difficult to do. So there's an understanding of the problem. In the history of the world, there have been very few atheists. In fact, a minuscule and tiny little bunch of people have said, there is no God. And most of that congregation of people is in the 19th and 20th centuries and 21st. Mankind has been looking for God and communion with God from as far back as we have records to show this reality. Mankind has also been trying to get back to God to repair the breach, so to speak. He has been trying to find a way to the top of the hill garden and to live in peace with his creator since Adam and Eve were kicked out, since there was a fall, since there was a problem that developed. The way to do that, surmises every culture on the face of the earth throughout history, is to appease 
and to work one's way up that hill. The problem with this approach is that, excuse me, is not that working at being better is a bad idea, or that the noble idea of service, as seen throughout the classical world, for instance, is inferior to the pursuit of power and control over one's neighbors and fellow humans. It's actually starting to sound rather familiar to contemporary life. The problem with this historic approach of appeasement and good works is that it won't work. God cannot be in communion with man without the sacrifice of Christ, without the grace given to us through the means of the crucifixion and resurrection being applied to the problem. Once we get that reality, then we can understand that the ascent up the hill to God is hard work. We can understand that service to our fellow man is our calling and that such service is pleasing to God when done in response to God's love for us in sending his Son. It is not appeasing God, but pleasing God that is at stake in our service and our work. The ascent that Psalm 15 implies in the first verse is exactly what man has been trying to do for millennia. In Christ, that ascent is exactly what we do in worship today and every time we come to God's holy table. Our calling from God is to ascend his holy hill and to join the chorus of angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven, including the church of all the ages, in their worship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Our architecture in our churches tells the same story. We have three steps. That's pretty good. That's better than we're going to get at the wedding, goalie. I don't think there's any steps. Uh, We have to kind of build an altar into the wedding space, the wedding church venue. But historically, all churches were built like this, And if this was a larger church, it it wouldn't be unusual at all, even a church not much larger than this, to have a step from the nave out there into the choir before the chancel rails. We're, We're a little foreshortened. We don't have all this stuff in this church. So you might step up into the choir. And then at the back end of the choir, you might step up again to the chancel, and then you would have your three steps to the altar. This is called a footpus. Steps and footpiss. So, in, as I've shared with many of you before, in the cathedral at Canterbury, where the Archbishop of the Church of England has his throne, his cathedra, from the nave to the choir, who's been there with me, Michaela, would you say that there are about probably almost 20 steps? I mean, it's like, whoa, it's like, you know, you'd be going into the balcony in the back of the church after those steps. It's like, wow, we're really going up. And then you go into the choir with the big choir lofts and their beautiful wooden carvings. At the tail end of the choir, there's a hallway kind of to be able to come into the choir on that level ground. And then there's another, maybe maybe 15 more steps up to the high altar. Coming to God has always been understood to be ascent, 
going up since the time that God called to Moses on Mount Sinai, come up here. Well, actually, since the time of the Garden of Eden. Uh, many, many times, many people think that the Garden of Eden is this lush valley with a little river running through it. Well, the river actually runs four directions from the garden. That tells you what? The garden is a hill, right? So worshiping God has always been on a mountain. And that's what we've been called to this morning. Our liturgy imitates that which is going on in heaven. Because the, the temple in heaven is the real deal, so to speak, or it's the, it's the one true original. And why does the earthly liturgy mimic the heavenly? Because that's where the worship of God is going on all the time. 24-7, if you will. And when we worship God, we join with the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven from the letter to the Hebrews, right, in the New Testament. We join with, to the church of the firstborn, to the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel's. God made clear to Moses that what Moses was building and making and establishing in the tabernacle and eventually the temple was a copy of the heavenly. So what we're still doing today even imitates because we are imitating Old Testament worship in some ways, but Jesus has made all things new. And so we're still doing things that are a copy of the heavenly. Jesus is actually our high priest right now, says the New Testament. Presently, at this moment, in the heavenly temple, and your priest on earth, me in this parish situation, is Jesus subordinate, copying, if you will, what is going on in heaven. When I hold up the Eucharistic bread and wine in the uh, uh, canon of the Mass, it is an imitation of Jesus holding up the ultimate sacrifice before the, before the altar of God. And the ultimate sacrifice is himself. And when you when you start to think through some of the Wesley hymns, the Eucharistic hymns, next time you sing a Wesley Eucharistic hymn, think through it, because that's, they've got this going in that, in that language. This liturgy that we're doing is work. In fact, that's where the word sends us. It's work. It's the work of the people. It is your work and it is my work. And as your priest and officiant or celebrant at this Eucharistic feast this morning, I have slightly different work, but we're working in tandem in cooperation to give the appropriate work to God. We all work together to ascend the holy hill. Says one commentator, if the goal described in this psalm is one of abiding and resting, the process there too is called climbing. <coughs> Excuse me. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? We surmise it involves a climbing, a resolute resistance to the force of gravity. We know that going up is more difficult than going down. Therefore, we would be rightly suspicious of anyone suggesting acquiescence in the aboriginal gravity of our fallen state. 
Doing what comes naturally is scarcely the path to ascent. To go with the flow is invariably to go lower. We can be certain that to climb this hill will involve stern effort, struggle, adherence to irrevocable duty. If this sounds like good works on the way to heaven, then you are hearing correctly. None of the first generation of reformers eschewed good works, certainly not the English reformers. What they wanted to make clear was that, was what I said earlier, God cannot be in communion with man without the sacrifice of Christ. Once the grace involved is understood, then we need to understand our duty of good works. Another context to understand this duty of good works in in the life of a Christian is to think of it covenantally. The scriptures are quite clear that we are in covenant with God. There are ethical requirements in every covenant. In marriage, goalie, the bride and the groom take vows and those vows are meant to be kept for a lifetime. They are the ethical obligations in the marriage covenant. Treaties between nations are similar There are expectations regarding what each nation will do or not do in order to keep the peace, keep the accord, or what used to be called a covenant. To be in covenant with God implies ethical obligations. Things we must do and things we must not do. An example mostly of the latter would be the moral obligations contained in the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. An example of the former, the things we must do, would be the greatest and second greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Our psalm today gives us exactly this glimpse and note the mention of both avoiding the evil works and living out the good works in the psalm. Who may abide with Christ, excuse me, with God on his holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. God sets out in his holy scriptures the rewards for being faithful to the covenant, for avoiding the things we must not do and working in goodness to God and to our neighbor, the things, the good works that we are called to. That reward is called blessing. God promises to bless us as we are faithful. Ultimately, that means, as in our psalm, abiding in God's tabernacle, dwelling in his holy hill. That abiding in God is our ultimate goal. We are not to, however, think, oh, I just want to be in heaven with God. I want to get my wings and be like an angel and play a harp. That's, not, that's nowhere in Scripture the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to have eternal rest in God and in Christ, but it will be in a new heavens and a new earth. 
So, let's think right there. Our eternal goal is to abide with God, to be at peace, and in our worship of him to be in his holy hill. But it, are, it is also our present reality if we choose to make it so and realize the grace of God given to us for our peace here and now. This is where we're to be living. We're actually to be living the new heavens, the new earth reality now. That's one of the ways that God wants to bring it about is to live it now. For we are in Christ. We have the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, minds, in our lives. So my friends, come to the table this morning. Abide in Christ. Receive his peace. Be strengthened for the fight and be strengthened for doing good works. Amen.